It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. Uh, you can find my Bruins writing and NHL writing at joehaggerty.substack.com. Uh, and I'm going to go solo this week with a mailbag edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. This is, I believe, our 22nd episode. So thanks for coming on board. And I also want to give a little shout out and love to our sponsors. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. You want to get on with them right now and visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. And also, let's not forget uh, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. That's right. I'm talking about Factor Meals. Not only a pitch man, also a client. Delicious Meals. Had the uh, pork chop, and uh, I mean, I don't even know what else was in there, but it was a delicious pork chop last week. Um, so head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code hags50 to get 50% off your first box. Uh, you'll be glad I sent you. That's Factor Meals, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. So thank you very much for sponsoring. Uh, let's move on to the mailbag. Uh, there's not really a lot of Bruins news this week. Um you know, we talked to Jeremy Swayman and uh, and Trent Frederick after signing their deals um, over the past week or so. Um, Fred, uh, Frederick obviously signed a two-year deal, $2.3 million. That's a good deal for him. You know, pretty good market value. And he got the two-year contract that's going to keep him away from, you know, arbitration or anything else uh, moving forward. He was happy with the deal. I think the Bruins were pretty happy with the deal. Uh, both happy that it was a two-year uh, term. Swayman, on the other hand, it was interesting. Uh, I don't think he was all that excited to have gone through arbitration. Um, it was a tough case because he was asking for almost $5 million for one year, which was way more than he was going to get based on the market and everything else. Um, he ended up getting, you know, $3.475 million. So uh, he said there was oh, no ill will towards the Bruins uh, as an organization, but that he never wanted to go through the arbitration process again. And he didn't want any of his friends to have to go through the arbitration process again. And I believe he's an RFA for a couple more years with arbitration rights. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out after this one year deal. I suspect that uh, if they want to keep the marriage going, they're going to have to sign a much longer term deal um, after this year. And really, I mean, that comes down to making a decision on Linus Allmark being the goalie partner with Jeremy Swayman somewhere down the road. I don't think you can start paying Jeremy Swayman five, $6 million what he's going to command when he gets closer to unrestricted free agency and have another goalie making 5 million in Linus Allmark. Um, you know, his trade uh, clause has opened up to where he can be traded to half the teams in the league now, <clears throat> and it'll open up even more next year. There's a few more teams he can additionally be traded to uh, as far as there's no trade protection. We used, used to be a full no movement clause. So it's getting easier and easier to think about trading him. They didn't do it this summer, but uh, if they end up going this year with Olmark and Swayman one more time as the hugging uh, goalie tandem that uh, all Bruins fans love and uh, have going to appreciate as Jennings Trophy winners, I think there may be more of a revisiting of potentially trading Olmark 
um, next summer, uh, depending on how they both perform. But I think that's something that is going to continue to get explored as, as they know they have uh, options, Swayman pushing to be a number one and Brandon and Busty coming down from Providence. But based on everything that Jeremy Swayman said, he's locked and loaded and ready to start. And I think he's going to continue after working out in Boston with all the trainers here and all the, the Bruins people that at warrior he's primed to have a really big season. And if he continues to seize more and more playing time and look more and more like he might be a number one guy, it's going to make for an interesting situation for the Bruins, but we're not there yet. They're still built and they have to be this coming year with Bergeron and Krejci gone they're going to be very strongly built around the goaltending and having two top defensemen in Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy. And that's really going to be the bedrock of, of this team's roster after it was having two, uh, you know, legit top six centers in Krejci and Bergeron for the last 15 years. So uh, I think keeping those goalies together for this coming year is going to be pretty important. So with that being said, uh, let's move on uh, to some of the mailbag questions. All right, this first one's from Johnny Mildner uh, via the Facebook page. Make some trades. Everyone is available other than Swayman, Captain Marshy, Pasta. That means Grizz, Forbert, Carlo, Freddie, Ulmark, DeBrusque are all available for trade. A lot of these guys' contracts are up at the end of the season. Make some moves or it's first to last if you don't do something. Okay, Johnny, I appreciate you wanting to make some moves. I, I think there are a lot of Bruins fans that want the Bruins to do something here, right, beyond just having traded Taylor Hall um, for salary cap space. But I also don't think you want to panic um, based on one year of salary cap difficulty. Uh, they're not sellers. I don't think they're going to be sellers this year. They're not going to start trading guys just because they're in the last year of their contracts. You know, that's just not where they are uh, in the franchise's cycle. And I think it's going to be a while before they're going to be in that spot um, unless the bottom really drops out, which I don't think it's going to based on on the team that they have. So um, I do, I do like your, uh, captain Marshy and already addressing him that way. And I think that's going to be a really interesting debate. Uh, and it has already been this summer. I think the number one question I get asked from Bruins fans is, uh, who's going to be the next Bruins captain. And I, there are two major camps here. Uh, there is Brad Marchand as the future captain, and there is Charlie McAvoy as the, the future captain this year. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are very, really passionate about thinking McAvoy should be the guy. Um, you know, he's going to be here for the long term. He's a young guy that could be a captain for a long time and really take ownership of that leadership position. He's a guy that's played with Patrice Bergeron as a Dano Chara. So he's really learned the culture uh, of the organization and, and what needs to be passed on and really creating that you know, Bruins dressing room that's going to be uh, an open and welcoming place to everybody and really a caring place because that's what it's turned into under Patrice Bergeron is not only do we care about you as a player, we care about you as a person. It doesn't matter if you played here five years, if you played here two games, you know, they care about you exactly the same. And I think that breeds honestly the best out of hockey players uh, to feel like you and your family are cared for uh, when you're playing for an organization. And that's been the way it's been. Uh, that's the way it's been for the Bruins for a good long time under, under number 37 and number 33 before that. So, uh, I, you know, he's a guy that uh, would, I think, be able to to pass that leadership on and carry that torch. Uh, but I think the one thing you're looking at uh, and I, why I would side with Brad Marchand is because he's really the last remnant, the last piece, the last connective tissue uh, to the team that won the Stanley cup in 2011. Sure. Milan Lucic is going to be back and be on this roster. And he was a member of that team, but he's been gone for a while. You know, Brad Marchand is the guy that has been with this organization his entire career, 
dates back to the year that they won the Stanley Cup, has really matured as a player under Patrice Bergeron. And where five, 10 years ago, he might not have been captain material. Uh, I think he is now, you know, based on, you know, tempering the, the things he's done on the ice, based on uh, looking out and caring more for the younger teammates that he has, where he might have been a little critical of them in his younger days. Um, the way he plays on the ice, the way he brings 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 them into the fight and and emotionally gets invested in the games, the you know the responsibility he feels to really carry on Patrice Bergeron's leg- legacy as you know his best buddy and line mate. Um, I think for all those reasons, and because like he's the veteran guy, you know, it makes sense for him to be captain, you know, for the next couple of years. And then after that, very naturally, it'll be Charlie McAvoy or David Pasternak. And one of those two young leaders and two best players in this team is going to be ready to step up uh, and take that C. Now, you know, Martian's only signed for a couple more years, whereas McAvoy's in the beginning of a really long-term deal where he's one of the highest paid players on the team, along with David Pasternak. So, you know, that contract, that money that he's making, that's going to be another vote in McAvoy's corner, that that's the kind of guy that should be uh, the next captain of the Bruins and the next leader. And, you know, the fact that he's on the ice all the time as a number one defenseman and he's playing 25 minutes a night, that's another reason as well. Um, so there's good arguments back and forth. Me, my personal opinion, you ask me, and when people ask me, uh, I got asked about it yesterday, uh, at my son's hockey party um, for the uh, the Crimson Hockey Club, where he's going to be playing next year, I think it's Brad Martian for you know the reasons I stated, and I think it's his turn, you know, for for lack of a better way to explain it. Um, but there's also a lot of people out there, Bruins fans, people in the know that think it's going to be Charlie McAvoy as well. So that's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think there's going to be hard feelings, uh, regardless of who gets picked. If I don't think Brad Marchand's going to be like behind closed doors, pissed because Charlie McAvoy is the captain. I think they understand that they're all working as a group and that it's, you know, something that they're going to easily accept and, and be able to coexist as teammates. But I think it's going to be interesting and it's going to say something about the Bruins and the direction they want the team to go. Um, who they ultimately decide on, whether the teammates have a say in it, whether it's, you know, Cam Neely, Don Sweeney, Jim Montgomery that decide. That whole thing is going to be interesting to see play out and see when they announce it as well. Uh, I don't think they're going to be first to last. I I don't think um, they're in dire straits. I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs. I think this is a playoff team. Do I think they're a Stanley Cup contender? No, I don't with their center situation right now. I definitely don't. Um, But I do think that uh, they are going to be able to make the playoffs. And I think that you know, it's it it's going to be the wild card team. And, and maybe, maybe they address the center situation if Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle aren't getting it done as the top uh, two centers on this team to start the year. But, um, you know, I still think just like people were panicking last year at the beginning of the year because McAvoy and Marshan and all these people were out and they were going to miss the playoffs. And, you know, it was doomsday and they went on to win 60, 65 games and have 135 points. I think this Bruins team is going to be much better than people are going to think it's going to be. They're going to miss Marsh. Uh, they're going to miss Patrice Bergeron. They're going to miss David Krejci. Uh, they're certainly going to be challenged at the center position like they haven't before. But I think this is still a, a very good team with a lot of really good players. It should be a playoff team, even in a better Eastern Conference. So, like, let's calm down. Let's pump the brakes a little bit on trading everybody and becoming this big seller. It's not going to happen. Like if the bottom really fell out and they turned into a, like a last place team, you'd probably see that. I just don't see it. Their goaltending and their defense is too good for them to be that bad. The only teams that really become out and out disasters in the NHL for my money are the teams that either have quit on their coach and uh, just going through the motions and, you know, don't want to play for the guy anymore. Have basically quit on the team 
or teams that have like awful goaltending. Those are the ways, the, the quickest ways to be terrible in the NHL. I don't think the Bruins are going to have either of those problems. So I'm not going to be trading all these players if I'm the Boston Bruins. Hey, Joe, what happened with Bert, Todd, Bert, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi? Heard they had agreed on an annual amount. It was term holding up the signing. Then he signs in Toronto for $5.5 million one year. What was Donnie offering? A six-month term. <laughs> Bob Bosclair uh, via Facebook page. Um, I think if you heard that they agreed on uh, the, the money amount, I don't think that's correct. I don't put anything into that report. I don't think that's right. Um, I think they were far apart, um, certainly on term. I think they were far apart on money. I think Tyler Bertuzzi's camp thought they were going to go into free agency and have this big money, long-term contract waiting for them, you know, really big money um, coming off a strong playoff. But like, let's be honest, he did not have a great year. He was good with the Bruins, not great before that injury uh, problems. He was coming off a 30 goal season two years ago. Yeah. And he's coming off probably his best year, but this year was not a great year for him. He was never going to get huge money on the market. And once the market kind of played out as, uh, you know, Dmitry Orlov, I think got the best deal of anybody. It was only a two-year contract. It was really short-term deals and, and shorter money deals and veterans signing for like one year, 750,000, you know, just based on the the salary cap and, and how it didn't really go up this year. Once that happened, Bertuzzi's camp realized we're going to have to settle for short term and, and less money than we thought. Um, I have no doubt the Bruins were probably in, the, you know, somewhere in the four to five million dollar range uh, for a long term deal, which would have been good value for them. Uh, but they were not going to sign a player like that to that high a money amount for one year. And they were going to try to get um, a longer term deal for much shorter money if they were going to sign a player like that. So I don't think they were all that close on money at all. Um, and it, it, you know, if you're on, if you're close on money for a one-year deal, but you're not close on money for a five-year deal and the team wants a five-year deal or vice versa, you're not really that close. Um, you know, because you're going to lower the amount you're paying a player in a situation like that because you're giving them the security of a longer term deal. So, um, the reports that they were close, I wouldn't buy into those. I don't think they were accurate for lack of a better term. Hey everybody, football season is just about to kick off and what better place is there to go than FanDuel Sportsbook. Our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. They give you the chance to win all season long while the football is getting carried around, thrown in the end zone, kicked through the uprights and all the gambling people can come out, all the fantasy people can come out and let it roll. Right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win during the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl. That's right. Pick a team right now that you think is going to win the Super Bowl. Could it be the Patriots? Could it be Could it be uh, Bill Belichick's swan song Super Bowl uh, victory? Who knows? Maybe you throw some money at that. But right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win during the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, on player props, over-unders, and so much more. So just visit FanDuel.com Boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com Boston and get going with the football wagers. You know you want to. Just go do it. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager, only $10. Deposit, requ deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire in seven days. Restrictions apply. Max bonus is $50 unless specified otherwise. See terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. 
http fanduel.com sportsbook hope is here gambling helpline ma.org http http gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 sport play it smart from the start gamesensema.com http gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234 all right uh who do you think the bruins will bring into training camp on a pto uh from glenn sunderland uh eight at uh, on twitter great question um there's still some really good unsigned players out there um that could be interesting i, I would suspect uh, that the bruins might bring in another center or two even though they've got a bunch of guys with morgan geeky and charlie Coyle and uh and Pavel Zaka and Patrick Brown and uh, even Jesper, Jesper Boquist, who can play center as well. And they have guys in, in Providence, you know, Mark McLaughlin, uh, Johnny Beecher, et cetera. There's still some guys they might bring in uh, that potentially bring in uh, Colin White, maybe uh, a local guy uh, who's not signed. That would be interesting. I don't think Paul Stasny is signed anywhere. He's a, you know, an older guy, but he also has, you know, he's had a great career. Um, you know, players like that, I, I think could be interesting. I think there's you know three or four centers that maybe fit that profile um, as guys that you might bring in, especially if like it goes into training camp and it looks like your centers are struggling or you start getting injuries or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I think those kind of players uh, could be a factor, maybe a defenseman too. Um, you know, you could never have enough of those. Uh, that certainly would depend on, you know, how Jakobs Borrell plays if they, if they stay healthy if they end up being pushed into wanting to make another trade and trade a defenseman in training camp, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see the seat, the team starting the year that we see now, uh, as far as the roster goes and the players that were brought in on July one, I don't think we're going to see big changes. I, at, at first, I think they want to take a look at what they have, uh, before they maybe decide to, you know, get something at the trade deadline, um, or get something a few months into the year after they've made determinations on the team. So that's what I'd be looking at. You know, there's three, four, five guys, um, you know, some of them I think are, you know, probably not going to end up landing with the Bruins, uh, even if they, you know, they're older guys uh, looking for a job like the Eric Stahls of the world, if he continues to play one more year. Uh, but I think, you know, Colin White's a guy played college ho- hockey uh, at BC, local guy, um, you know, something, somebody like that might make sense uh, for the Bruins. You know, I think he has Patrice Bergeron's uh, agent as well. Um, so there's, you know, good connect connections and the conversation between uh, the Bruins front office and, and a player like that. We'll see what happens, but uh, you know, that, I don't put that out of the realm of possibility, but I think it'll be something like that. Um, good question though. Uh, I'm hoping he can develop into, uh, he's talking, I'm hoping uh, Trent Frederick can develop into a version of Keith Kachuk, uh, Keith Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk for the Bruins. Solid physical presence who gets under team skin and can put the puck in the net. Mike Sapelli via Facebook. Boy, that's high hopes for Trent Frederick. Uh, <laughs> he's not going to be Matthew Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk's one of the best players in the NHL. Very underrated skill set. Like everybody knows him as getting under people's skins, plays a physical game. But when you watch the subtle smart patient offensive plays the things he does with the puck the way he finishes around the net uh waits out goalies makes second moves uh you know he makes dynamic plays and he makes dynamic plays in tight space with bodies flying everywhere and you know chaos uh in front of the net um 
he's a damn good player. He's one of the best players in the league. He was a Hart Trophy candidate. You know, but Trent Frederick's not going to be that guy. If you're hoping for him to turn into Matthew Kachuk, you're going to be very disappointed and you're going to be waiting for a while. Um, the hope, honestly, is two things. Um, that he can maintain what he did last year offensively, that he can stay in that, you know, 15 to 20 goal, 30 to 40 point range and continue to maybe up a little bit from there, but at least stay in the range where he's a good offensive third line player uh, that can produce at that level at the NHL level. Um, and then he continues to up the physical ante and that maybe he learns from a guy like Milan Lucic how to play a little bit more of that um, in your face, physical style, intimidating you know, really making defensemen here footsteps, figuring out ways, even though he's not the fastest skater to get where he needs to get to really be that physical presence, knowing when to, you know, toe the line and when to step up and, and defend one of his teammates. I think Milan Lucic could be an awesome thing for Trent Frederick this year to really learn how to play his game uh, with his skill set and what he does well. You know, the, the flip side of it is, and a lot of people have mentioned this, you know, his shooting percentage was very high last year, way higher than his career average um, when he scored the 17 goals. And, you know, when you talk to the fancy stats folks, they tell you if you see the high uh, shooting percentage like that, it can indicate it's an outlier season where it's, you know, going to end up being his career year where he never scores more than that. And, you know, he was just getting bounces and, and, you know, maybe part of it was he was playing with Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall, two very good players. And that upped his uh, offensive game and upped the quality of chances he was having, which allowed him to have a higher percentage and more goals, whatever. I mean, I think he's going to probably end up playing with pretty good players this year too. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but th there's some indication there that he, last year might be the best that he has to give offensively. So, you know, you've got him at two years now at, at pretty good third line money uh, to make that determination and see where he is. But like, I think they're when they originally drafted him, they envisioned him as a third line center. I remember Keith Gretzky saying this at the draft when we talked to him, when he was, uh, you know, the head of the scouting for the Boston Bruins and you asked what Frederick's really upside was or what it was going to be as a player. They, they kind of talked about a third line center, a guy that could, you know, be a big bodied guy in the middle, um, you know, play a good two-way game, be a big physical presence was good enough to put up some points and was good enough, you know, skill wise to be uh, at the U S national uh, development program. And, you know, he's turned into that at, to this point. So like they've, they got, I had issues at the time with spending a first round pick on a player like that, instead of going shooting for the moon with Alex to uh, just an offensive dynamo that was undersized, that was going to score a ton of goals for you. And I still continue to think that was probably the better player to take. If you're going to make first round picks, go shoot for the moon, go for the high skill guys. And, you know, players like Trent Frederick will be there a little bit later on in the draft, um, your third line center types. Uh, but they that's what they went for and that's what they 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 tried to get and you know it's it, and he still has not really played the center position either it's been the third line you know right wing last year for Trent Frederick so you know we'll see if he ends up profiling anymore he's going to have to score even more and become even more dynamic offensively and frankly skate a little better if he's going to play higher in the lineup and be a Matthew Kachuk type and I just don't think uh, that's going to happen so like, let's hope he can be like a, a Milan, more of a Milan Lucic type and playing with him this year and seeing how Milan Lucic goes about his business really rubs off in a, in a really good way uh, on Trent Frederick. And he becomes even more of a presence, even when he's not doing anything offensively and more of a physical guy and more of an intimidator uh, than he's been at times. And you can really start to walk that line. Uh, because if you have a guy that, you know, racks up 100 plus penalty minutes, uh, scares the bejesus out of defensemen going in the corner, 
and can get you close to 20 goals and 40 to 50 points. If he turns into that kind of a guy, those guys are worth goals in the NHL. And there's still his hope at 25 years old or so that Frederick can turn into that kind of a player. So, all right. Uh, one of the most curious things I've observed between the coaching styles, of, and this is another Trent Frederick question, actually. One of the most curious t- things I've observed between the coaching styles of Cassidy and Montgomery is their total reluctance to open up Frederick's role to something more than just a bottom six grinder. Absolutely mystifying from uh, Justin Mason on Twitter. Is it mystifying, Justin? Is it really? Has he ever put up big numbers in Providence? Has he ever put up big numbers in Boston? Did he put up big numbers for the uh, national team development program when he was there? Did he put up big numbers uh, in, during his college hockey career? Like, he's been a kind of a grinder and that kind of a player his entire hockey career. Like, you know, he's been put in a little bit higher end spaces, uh, perhaps at times in college, because um, he was a first round pick and, you know, uh, college is a little bit of a smaller pond than the, than the NHL. Um, I, I just don't, I don't put this on Bruce Cassidy and I don't put this on Jim Montgomery and I don't put this on the coaches having not put him in uh, positions to succeed. Like he hasn't been consistent enough and he certainly hasn't been dynamic enough or skated uh, well enough to consistently earn um, spots uh, in the top six. Uh, you know, he can play there occasionally for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I like the element he can bring as a big physical player. If you need a guy like that on a line where the, you got two dancers and you put him there as well uh, to really do a lot of the dirty work. I think that's fine, too. Uh, but I don't see him at this point what he's done as a consistent top six uh, kind of player. I just don't. Um, I think he's right where he should be on on the third line right now. And he's going to have to prove even more offensively to get more. Uh, playing time and more looks in the top six to get power play time, et cetera. Like he was talking the other day when we talked to him on zoom about wanting to play on the penalty kill more. And I think that's an area where he could definitely get more ice time. I don't think he's going to get rack up a ton of power play time, but PK, he could turn into a pretty good player again, if he can continue to, you know, up his skating game and up his speed a little bit and his ability to, you know, really be a danger uh, on the penalty kill, or at least get where he needs to get to, um, you know, block shots and to get in people's way. But uh, the one thing I give him credit for, uh, as far as upping his offensive game, as far as raising his profile, as far as sort of at least pushing to get a few top six looks is his shot. His shot has become lethal. He's clearly worked on it. Uh, He's dangerous now when he gets the puck in scoring positions and he gets it off his stick quick and he really is good enough hands where he can collect it, snap it and, and be dangerous. Like that's, that's a skill that he's clearly worked a lot on and it's helped him, you know, up his shooting percentage, up his goal production, up everything. And it's, it's helped him a lot and it's, it's helped him turn into the best version of Trent Frederick that he can be. So um, I just don't have a lot of gripes with the coaching staff as far as usage with him. There were occasionally times with Bruce Cassidy. And I think this is part of the disconnect between him and some of the players that played for him where Trent Frederick would like ride the bench for a while. If he took a penalty, he'd be on the bench. If he took a bad penalty, he'd be scratched for a few games or you wouldn't see him for a few weeks. There was some stretches during his first couple of years where you just wouldn't see him at all. And he wasn't playing and you were kind of wondering what was going on. Um, That part I I would have had more issues with, especially if his role was to be an antagonizer, to go out there and get the team involved in the fight and to agitate the other team's best players. Like I think him and Connor Clifton, I think that was the kind of their roles to a degree uh, on that team. 
And, you know, if he was doing it, let him do it. You know, don't, don't pull the reins back. Sometimes he's going to make mistakes doing that, obviously, because he's kind of learning his way through and the, the do's and do nots, but I, I don't think you can completely pull back on the leash and, you know, whip the dog when he takes a bad penalty and all of a sudden not, you know, not let him play. Like you, you got to let him learn from his mistakes and play. And I think that's the difference to a degree, but Jim Montgomery and Bruce Cassidy, I think Bruce Cassidy was, was too much, too much pulling on the leash, too much uh, calling players to the carpet and, and really discouraging them from sometimes taking chances, sometimes playing on the edge, sometimes taking offensive chances. You know, there was a lot of things I think that he ended up discouraging uh, certain players from doing Connor Clifton, Trent Frederick, Brandon Carlo, you know, go down the list, Jake DeBrusque. There's a bunch of players that I think did not excel, did not flourish because they felt discouraged and uh, they felt like their mistakes were, you know, being piled upon uh, and it, it, eventually turned into them not taking enough chances and uh, not playing the game that they needed to play uh, to be effective. So, you know, I, I think there's an element of that, but I don't, you know, I'm not living under any illusions that at this point, Trent Frederick should be a top six forward on the Boston Bruins or in the NHL. He's going to have to show a lot more and he still has time to do it. He's still young enough, but I, to this point, he has not shown it and the jury is very much out if he's going to show it, but he's going to have to be even better than he was last year. And that was his best year. So we'll, we'll see what he brings. He's got two years now and he's on a pretty good contract. So I think he's going to be here for the full duration and they'll see what he has. Um, okay. This one is interesting. This is a more of a league wide question. Umpire Jimmy. Uh, why doesn't Quebec city have a team? That's uh, umpire umpire Jimmy on Twitter. Good question. This came off of, and uh, this is, uh, I guess, a piece of Bruins news uh, that we could have talked about. Patrice Bergeron played in a pro-am game in Quebec City at the at the um, Videotron, uh, the big rink in Quebec City um, that does not have an NHL team. Uh, but even though it's an NHL state-of-the-art facility, why does Quebec City not have a team? Well, you know, a lot of people, including the people in Quebec City, would love for the Nordiques to come back in some form or fashion, just like the Jets went back to Winnipeg, uh, even if it's like a redux sort of situation where it's not the actual original Quebec Nordiques team that obviously moved to Colorado and is now the Avalanche. But if it's a new version of the team that, you know, picks up the the logo and the the history uh, from where they are right now. But the, the, the sad truth is that um, there's not enough corporate money in Quebec City right now. There are not enough uh, dollars to um, it for it to become a moneymaker for the NHL to the point where it's a mass media market where they need to go to. I think there are more attractive U.S. markets. And we all know that Gary Bettman has one of his goals and one of his uh, aims, and he's been very successful at this, has been spreading the game all over the United States and bringing it to, you know, non-traditional markets and places where hockey hasn't to this point flourished, but huge markets where it could be embraced and, and become a hit. And sometimes he misses on this, like the perpetual mess that is the Arizona coyotes that apparently now have bought um, property in Mesa that they're going to turn into a rink uh, in an NHL facility. We'll see if that happens. We'll see how much money they put into it, like how far they get, like how many roadblocks they run into there. Um, but to this point, it's been very unsuccessful and very erratic uh, what's happened in Arizona. And I think the players uh, have certainly voiced the concern, the players that play there and just players around the NHL as well. And they're, you know, they're playing in a $5,000 college hockey, 5,000 5, seat college hockey rink right now while they're trying to figure out uh, where their permanent home is going to be. So, you know, but, 
by the same token, Austin Matthews becomes a number one overall pick. You know, there's tons of players that are starting to come of the Arizona area, which would have never been known for hockey uh, previously. There's tons of players coming out of St. Louis. There's tons of players coming out of um, Florida. My my son played in the CCM summer invite for uh, top speed hockey a couple last weekend. Um and he played a team uh they didn't play but the team was in their division called vice hockey that was from florida it was an all florida team like 10 15 years ago you wouldn't have seen an all florida team at a hockey tournament like that um and that's because gary bettman has put teams in all of these markets and the, the Sun Belt and everywhere else and it's turned into places where kids want to play the sport now they watch the nhl they love it they fall in love with the game just like all of us have and it turns into something they want to play. So, you know, I think you're looking more at Houston as continued to be a, you know, big time market that the NHL wants to do business with. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of other ones. I know Atlanta, Kevin Weeks, uh, my colleague at ESPN has thrown Atlanta out there and the maybe a return of the Thrashers or something that might happen. And that's certainly uh, a possibility as well. Um, if they were going to go to Canada, I think, there still could be a market for another team, a second team in Toronto up in Markham or somewhere else. Um, that's a little bit of a distance from Toronto. I think there's enough passion for the game there and uh, there's enough support where you could have two teams uh, in uh, Toronto, just like there's the Mets and the Yankees with baseball uh, in the United States. So like, I think there's some air, even places in Canada that might be more likely. Certainly. I think there's a couple of places in the U S um, where I think it could happen and is more likely to um, happen than Quebec City. Uh, but I hope the Quebecois, I hope the Quebec City folks get their Nordiques back at some point. I want to see it. I want to go to games there. I want to cover games there. I covered a preseason game between the Bruins and the Canadians at the Coliseum maybe like 10 years ago. Uh, that, that was the, uh, you know, the former home of the Nordiques and it was awesome. The crowd was great. Uh, it was a fun city to go to. I wish it was back on the NHL circuit. I uh, enjoyed my trips to Winnipeg. I enjoyed Winnipeg more than Atlanta, to be honest with you. And I covered my share of Thrashers games at the very beginning and they're like, Hey, that's the home of Chick-fil-A. I got to go to the original Chick-fil-A when I covered an Atlanta Thrashers game. It was outside the city in Atlanta. Uh, so I had things that I enjoyed about going to Atlanta too, but I, I certainly liked, really enjoyed going to Winnipeg. Uh, and some of the things that were going on there and it felt more like, you know, a, a real hockey market and the, the crowd was way more into it. And you'd go to the hotel in the dead of winter and there were, you know, uh, outlets at all the parking spots. And there was a plug hanging from the bottom of your car, the grill of your rental car. And you know what the hell that was for. And then you realize that you have to plug your car in at night. So the engine block doesn't freeze. And, you know, that's real hockey. That That is that is the real deal. When you go to a place like that, where you're worried about your engine block freezing at night. And that was the first time, even though I'm from Boston, I've seen plenty of nasty winters. I'd never seen anything like that before. But I learned that the first uh, few times I went to Winnipeg. So I, I hope Quebec City, it's a long way of saying I hope Quebec City gets a team back, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Um, the best hope they have, to be honest with you, because I think the next team is going to be um, – it seems like it's going to be a Western conference team. Uh, the best hope I think that they have is that if a team has to move and relocate like the Florida Panthers, uh, which might've been a more of a possibility a few years ago, but I just think the the way the Panthers are going now and the ownership that they have, that's not really a possibility either. And they're such a good team right now that I, I think they're going to be on much firmer ground than they used to be. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. 
And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right. Uh, we got one more here. Bruins will do much better this year without pressure. Believe you me, just my opinion. Charlie Sacchetti via Facebook. They'll be much better this year without pressure. Much better. Well, much better, I guess, is a relative term. <laughs> They're not going to be much better than they were last year. They were the best NHL regular season team of all time last year. Uh, will they be much better in the playoffs without that kind of pressure? Maybe. Um I, it really all depends on what they do with the center position and how they address that and how well Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle can handle being top six centers all year, how much the wingers are going to be able to support them and drive those lines uh, and drive them offensively. If, if those two are more concerned about two-way play and, you know, being solid centers and, and not really have to carry things and leave a lot of that to the wingers. We'll, we'll see. Um, but I, I, you know, there's major questions about the playoffs. There's the center play, which will, you know, be answered and be played out during the year. Uh, if they have to bring in another center trade for somebody during the year, you know, whether it becomes a desperate situation where they've got to trade for like an Elias Lindholm or a Mark Shifley or a Ryan, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, but I, you know, Hampus Lindholm is going to have to be much better in the playoffs uh, to, to be better. Their goaltending is going to have to be way better. One of those goalies is going to have to step up and show he's a playoff goalie. Uh, I think Jeremy Swayman has not been given enough of a chance to show whether he can be that guy or not in the playoffs. He's been thrown in some very tough situations uh, over the years. I'm starting to form opinion about Linus Allmark that maybe he is not the most ideal playoff goalie. Uh, definitely not like game in and game out over a two month span, uh, you know, as your number one guy that plays every single game. Um, so I think that's going to have to be a situation that really resolves itself and somebody's going to have to step up and, and be the guy uh, or they, they're going to have to operate as a tandem in the playoffs as they did during the regular season. And maybe that's possible. Like I've never seen that. I'm more of a hockey traditionalist that like you want one goalie that you can at least ride for a while and maybe a toggle back and forth. But that's if the other guy's played five or six games and looks tired or he starts to like, you know, his play starts to go away. Kind of a Andy Moog, Reggie Lemlin situation. That kind of a thing I think could be manageable. If you go to a strict every other game, you know, goalie tandem split right down the middle. I've never really seen that in the playoffs work. I, I don't know that I... I, it would be really interesting to see how that plays out if that's what they do. They may end up doing that this year because what they did last year clearly didn't work. And, you know, I think you got to try that to at least see how it works and see if you can replicate what they gave you during the regular season. Um, but I think that's, you know, I don't think there's any boasts about the Bruins being much better at anything unless the goalie situation in the playoffs uh, is much better than it's been uh, the last couple of seasons when it has not been a strength uh, like it was during the regular season. So, you know, I, I, I do think there's going to be a weight off of them. Um, I think they're going to be playing with low expectations like they were to start last year. And I think that helped them last year. and It'll probably help them this year uh, and it'll be good for them. And they're going to surprise people. I think that they're going to be as good as they're going to be because I think they're going to be a playoff team. Uh, but we're also talking a much better Eastern Conference, much better Atlantic Division. It is going to be more challenging for them. Um, they're not going to have the centers to, you know, hang their hats on like they did in the past. So that that part's going to be interesting. Um, but, you know, I, I, I put it this way. 
I am optimistic that the Bruins are going to be in the playoffs. I am not optimistic that they're going to be much better this year in any way, shape or form than they were last year, including the playoffs. You know, this, this, I feel like this might have the makings of a team that's wild card uh, out in the first round, doesn't make a ton of noise, but has a solid year. And then the following year, they can really start to build more because of the salary cap and the way things uh, are going to work. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, I, I like your optimism, Charlie. I think you're a lot more optimistic than I would be if I were a Bruins fan or that I am as somebody covering the team. But uh, thanks. Uh, that's it for this week's mailbag. Uh, thanks for writing in. Thanks for asking the questions. We'll do another one probably about a month from now. Uh, back to your regular scheduled Pucks with Hags programming next week. Uh, as always, thanks to Factor Meals, number America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Uh, I'm a client as well as a pitch man. Uh, factormeals.com slash hags50 and use that code hags50 to get 50% off. And also uh, FanDuel Sportsbook. 